0: Holy Madness is brought to you by JewishCoffeeHouse.com <laughs> This podcast killed 75,000 people in the capital, drank a barrel's worth of wine, and murdered all the Amalekites.
1: Without Holy Madness, my gas mask would still fit.
0: It's Holy Madness! With Tzvi, and the Triple Parentheses Choir! Okay Nation, here we are, another day, in the resistance, against the resistance, which is resisting the New World Order. Or wait, we're resisting, the people resisting, the people resisting the new world order. Look, it doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't matter. The new age liberals are here with their mind control devices. They're changing the language on us. The technocratic technocracy that they foist upon us. With their knockers. They have knockers? I quit. No. No. Okay, and, and here's, here's the thing. Right, are you with me? You're with me?
1: I, I, I'm with you. Are you with me? Because you're either with me or you're against me. It, Mr. Jones, I'm with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why was I doing this again? Oh, right, right. Well, here, here's the point, okay? You've got a lot of these words that suddenly you're not allowed to use. Okay. Right. Like, uh...
1: Leftist. Libations. Libations.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seri- seriously, there are so many of these words that just we don't use anymore. Tabernacle. That's an, well, in Well, in Quebec, that's a very bad word. Tabernacle. You're just a naughty boy. Tabernacle, yeah. Um, but, like, all these, like, you know... Do we have to people ourselves out? That would be funny. <laughs> I say we do one with and one without. Tabernacle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway the, the, it seems like i just I, I love the idea of libations and by the way here's the funny thing it still survives into modern culture because they'll say something like hey pour one out for so
1: and so really people do that yeah see what i think of libations and i think this is just how i met different pieces of great literature but for me libations just sounds so greek it, it's just so much a part of the, the greek world for me well
0: for me it was my first inkling that God... Likes to drink? God wasn't like me. Oh, because you would pour it down Who would throat? pour
1: out good wine? But where do you pour it if you're going to give God a drink?
0: Yeah, but God doesn't drink. Because that would imply God gets drunk. And if God gets drunk, well, then we're all screwed. We're thinking about pouring. And bros. here we are, guys. <laughs> we did it! It only took Alex Jones and libations. That's random. But but that that is the funny thing. You know the, the six... You know, the the famous six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing? Yeah, yeah. And what's amazing is in Israel, they actually studied this, and it turns out they're only four degrees. I think it's even less. It's like 3.6. Something like that. Yeah. Like four max. Yeah. So, like, if, if, if uh, I don't know, they they shoot a rocket into, like, you know, some little town in the north, right? Right. So, you know somebody who
1: knows somebody who knows the guy who died. It's just wild. Right, and it it extends far beyond Israel to just the Jewish world in general. So. No, that's the part that breaks
0: down. It's not true. It's only within Israel. It's really weird. Really? Yeah. Hmm, okay. Because in 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 the and look the way I grew up this is slightly off topic, but it's worth pointing out. We we've, we've touched on these topics in the past. If you didn't go to the same synagogue,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the kids didn't go to the same school,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you didn't know them. Right. They may have lived next door.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. You didn't mm-hmm. know them yeah.
0: at all. Where mm-hmm. I grew up, there were uh, 20 houses on the street on you know, mm-hmm. each side.
1: I think I knew five of them. Really? Yeah, and that's because my parents were friendly. Uh-huh. See, I, I thought that where I grew up, that was also the case. But I thought that was just a product of the suburban sort of isolationism or – I even felt that it was partially because we were Jewish. It's like, okay, so we're isolated in this.
0: Oh, when we were all Jewish, it didn't make an
1: iota of a difference. Hmm. Wow. Okay. At any rate, so that's just that's the
0: way people are. I think.
1: Well, we are. If you're, because Yes, we
0: are a nation scattered amongst the nations. Very good. We're back to we're back to them again. Again, here's here's where I want to start. Here's where I think I want to start. I want to start with teaching everyone a vocabulary word. That's, that's pretty pompous. We I'm already sharing. started with libations. Yeah, well, another one. And tabernacle. Because I'm on a roll. Okay. And this is pretty pompous because, like, maybe people know it. And I'm just, like, saying I'm going to teach it to them, and it's like, ah, ah but
1: okay, whatever. <laughs> so, on Facebook, let us know if you already knew this word. Ooh,
0: we'll do it as a... As a, as a quiz? Yeah, no, a poll. That's a, poll, okay. poll a poll, okay, right, a poll, poll. Yeah. Then we'll charge them a poll tax because we're Jews. <laughs> that anti-Semitism was brought to you by Heyman. Proudly trying to murder all the Jews,
1: since Saul left one idiot alive. See, you're saying, hey, man, and I I understand that you're saying Haman, but it took me a little bit because at first I thought it was a play on, like, you know, Jaime or Jaime. <laughs> like it was just like, hey, H-E-Y, space, M-A-N. Hey, man.
2: That's what I thought
0: you were saying. Anyway, fine. So the word that I want to teach you, everybody is apophenia. Can you spell that for me, Timmy? Yes, teacher, it's a p. Of course, because it's
1: from Greek. It's totally phonetic.
0: P-H-E-N-I-A, and no bonus points to the guy who was all smug about it. <laughs> apophenia. Quoting... The sum total of human knowledge, which is known as Wikipedia, is the tendency to attribute meaning to perceived connections or patterns between seemingly unrelated things. Confirmation bias is a variation of apophenia. The term, which was actually German for apophany, which may sound similar to epiphany, epiphany, was coined by the psychiatrist Klaus Conrad in his 1958 publication on the beginning stages of schizophrenia. He defined it as unmotivated seeing of connections accompanied by a specific feeling of abnormal meaningfulness. He described the early stage's delusional thought as self-referential overinterpretations of actual sensory perceptions as opposed to hallucinations. Apophenia has come to imply a universal human tendency to seek patterns
1: in random information such as Gambling now and test. So to break down that word, apo is a Greek preposition meaning away from. Mm-hmm. Right, you start on the inside of something and you move uh, outwardly. Mm-hmm. That's apo, and the part friend fren, comes yeah. from friend, and it means to make appear. Mm. So I'm trying to think of another example in Greek where we have that root. Oh wait, I do know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know.
0: You know yeah, it was in that commercial for uh, the wheat beer. <laughs> What's yeah, where Socrates is like, uh, hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> hey, man, you got to try this beer, man.
1: That is so not it.
0: If you get in this beer, man, it will get you away from your problems, man. People don't know this, but Socrates is actually from Jamaica. Yeah, I heard that. Queens,
1: Jamaica, New York. That's according to the Book of Mormon. Actually. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, wow. Now we just
1: ticked off for a few listeners in Utah. No, not at all. I mean, Jesus can make it to America, then maybe Socrates can make it to Jamaica.
0: Well, obviously he did. Otherwise, how would have known to do the accent in the commercial.
2: Hmm.
0: Anyway, the point is, so Abathenia is seeing patterns that aren't really there. And what I find amazing about maybe, the concept. Maybe they are there. Right, no, that's exactly it. What I find amazing about the concept is, who knows? Mm-hmm. It, it's almost built in that it's in hindsight. And the reason why I wanted to start off with that, the reason why to start off with it, I did the whole Alex Jones thing because he is he is the priest of Apophenia if there ever was one. Really? How's that? The Pope of Apophenia. Anyone who knows him knows why he's the Pope of Apophenia. Anyone who doesn't trust me, take my word for it. It turns out Svia is a huge fan of Alex. Oh, he's Jones. the Rebbe. He is the Rebbe. This is a man who figured out at an early age how to be rich and laugh while doing it. And I can appreciate that. I can. I do. I do.
1: You aspire to be a lot like that. Rich and laughing. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. I want to earn my money with a smile. Preferably at a lot of other people's expenses, (laughs) I
1: guess. (laughs) He does sort of earn it while... Freaking out and slapping things and venting. Oh, it's great.
0: I mean, here's the thing. Chicken bone. He shows no cocoa. signs of
1: drug use. That's all natural.
0: I mean, if you <laughs> could bottle
1: that. Mm-hmm. Hey, he's trying to. Listen guys, bone listen, guys. Chicken bones. Listen, guys. Coco. If you could bottle that. Okay, okay. They would put it in our water system. They would put it in our water
0: system. And they would turn us all. And all they would experience. turn us into homosexual frogs
1: dogs <laughs> Which is an important point because homosexuality occurs naturally in nature and now that we've gotten everyone's attention and pissed species. them off
0: let's go back to our actual point <laughs> which is that we did an entire read through the book of Esther it masterfully considering we did it in an hour we did an entire read through the entire book and we made
1: sure to highlight how random the story was what do you mean how random the story That's is? That's what I'm because driving it, at. It has a clear plot to it. But the thing is that
0: plot only works in hindsight. And in a way, it's a terribly written book. Because it's meant to tell you how random it was. And yet all it does is present things in this great plot. I mentioned then it would make an amazing movie. Mm. It,
1: it would. You mean that like if you were actually living the Megillah... If you were living the book of Esther, you would have just been baffled that you're immersed in chaos and you have no clue. what's You
0: would feel like any shame person feels today. Uh You know, things are going on, but you have no freaking clue what's happening Mm. until long after it happens, because that's the first time the pieces click and they start to make sense. And that's when you start to think that maybe
1: they're putting something in your water.
0: Well, no, it's until you get to that point where you're searching for answers and there are none,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where where the smaller-minded people may actually go apophenic and just find things that fit and believe them, even though they're patently insane, mm-hmm. because, well, at least there are answers. It actually takes a tremendous amount of fortitude. This is one of the messages of the Megillah of the Book of Esther. It takes a tremendous amount of fortitude to keep living with no answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To keep yeah. going on with what you know is true. Any person of faith, this is a callback to one of our previous episodes.
1: Episode More 11. Two of
0: our previous episodes. We, we, we about. turned about this in episode 9 as well. Okay. But any person of faith knows what this is about. You just keep trucking. It doesn't matter what the world throws your way. You, you just thinking, have to keep going on. I'm, I'm, I'm again? No. No. Well, That's I guess it sounds like it. It does sound like it, but we do this too. Jews keep going, and they say, "Well, wait till we understand enough to go figure out what it is we've done." <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, no problem. I mean, look, we come, from,
1: may come We
0: come from a people that proudly, you know, the way the, the the Talmud has it, they go through this whole thing. This guy says, "I say that such an oven is uh, is a problem that takes you know it contracts ritual purity." Uh, impurity, and So, therefore, anything that's cooked in it would become impure. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the rabbis say, nah, we don't no, agree. No, no, And he says, oh, really? Well, I'm going to prove to you I'm right. God, show them I'm right. And then all these miracles start happening. And they just keep looking the at him going, at the building yeah, the buildings, the buildings in, start and collapsing. And the, the river starts flowing right. straight through the building. And then this tree sprouts on the side of the river. And it's like
1: – And finally the heavens open up. And they
0: go, he's right, darn it. and And everybody goes –
1: yeah, well, so what? <laughs> we're we're going to do things
0: our way. <laughs> Lo bashamayim. It, well, it's a quote from Deuteronomy. The, 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 by the, this, the truth is not in heaven. Fine. Well, it doesn't actually specify truth. It doesn't say what it is that it, it's, it's not talking about. What is it? Right. But whatever it is, that's not where it is. So, But, but again, so any person of faith, Tertullian or not, That's the point. It makes you feel as if you're Mm Tertullian-like, but it's not really what you're doing. You're just sitting there going, I don't have enough data. So this doesn't make enough sense. I'm just
1: going to stick with the status quo and and hope it works out. That's Mm -hmm. not how I experience it in life. I experience it in this way, that I have some deep conviction and it would be easy to give up on that conviction. It would be easy for, for me to say, well, I guess that really doesn't matter or I guess that's not how it is. But none of the things that are actually being thrown at me are actually attacking that sense of reality. What they're attacking is a sense s- of something on an, yes, a sense of comfort or something emotional, but it doesn't actually touch the extent to which that's true.
0: See, I don't even get into all this stuff with truth. It's really weird. For me, it's really just a matter of I wake up, the world seems absurd. I happen to have a healthy appreciation for absurdist humor, so I generally laugh. And I just said, look, it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure it has to make sense just yet. I want it to make sense, but obviously I don't know enough to make sense of it. So then I sit there and go, well, what's not making sense to me? And I'll identify something. I'll say, okay, so that's what I'm going to look into today. And that's more or less what I do. I'm not bothered by the fact that things seem insane. To me, that's the default. You know, it's actually funny. Mm. I was reading something by a wealth management professional. That is a code word for somebody who gets rich off your savings. Hmm. Investment guy. Okay. Yeah. So he makes money and hopefully you might too. And he was talking about how people's investment philosophies are created at what point these people join the investment world in their formative years. Oh, that's interesting. So if you were... Uh, like, like, look, I'll, I'll give myself as the example. I turned 22 when the market went to hell in 2008, mm-hmm. and that turned 21, 22, 2008, 2009, right? Okay. So that's when I first started really paying attention. Okay. And I am always sitting there looking for the, how do you make money when everything goes to hell? Mm-hmm. That is my like default thing. That reminds me of what people have said about Nasim Taleb. Same story. He started he working in, in 1986. So. Not just – fine. He grew up in a war and all that stuff. But his investment experience, going back to this wealth management guy, he started working in First Boston in 86.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then by October 87, the world fell down.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's what shaped him. He saw the world fall down out of nowhere. And he said, you know something? The world can always fall down out of nowhere. So then don't ever pretend that tomorrow it can't fall apart. And everything he's written has basically been to tell you what he learned in October Mm. of 1987. Which is fine. If that's a Rosenzweig reference, you get double points. But... So, you're, so, again, and then people who grew up in, like, the rah-rah years are the ones going, no, just buy the dip. Just keep doing this. Just whatever. Ah, it's okay. Stocks just go up. Don't worry. Buy and hold and never sell and you'll be rich and everything will be great and all this other insanity. But it, but it's true. The the worldview that you absorb based on
1: your experiences is what informs you. I grew you're up saying that we have imprinting and we have imprinting in stages. You imprint with your – with your mother, hopefully, you imprint when you enter a field. You know, I, I joke that I am really a Gushnik who happens to live in Jerusalem because I, I imprinted in Batayn. Yes, I would agree with that. I really would.
0: No, here's the funny thing, because we, we live five minutes apart, but you get home from work primarily by taking a bus to the furthest point it can take you and then sticking out your finger. And I didn't move to where you live precisely because I would never rely on that. Mm-hmm. Not because I, I mean, look, logically, I know you can. I see people do it all the time, including mm-hmm. you. Right. It just never lived that way. Yeah. It never made a, well, what we say in yeshivish, this is a Jew joke, everyone. It made a rishim on me. A <laughs> rishim, yeah? A, reishim, yeah? a reishim, I did a rishim. A rishim. So, so you're calling imprint, and that's what the word means. Yeah. Lihirah L- shame is to imprint. At any rate, so so my point is this. Yes, the imprinting is a big point. But it's also when it happens. Because if something happens at a non-formative part of your life, so then you just chalk it up as, you know, something that happened. It was random. We watch people do this all the time. Yes. In my line of work, I literally watch people do this all the time. Right? I work in mental health and you watch people and they go through things that should shake them to their core and you say, You seem okay, and they go, Yeah, it was just random. You know, uh, so this no, is no big deal.
1: So you're pointing out now the opposite of apophenia.
0: No, this is why I'm driving at it. I'm actually pointing out exactly what apophenia is. Because, you know, apophenia sounds like another word. Epiphany. Right, epiphany. But here's the contrast. And again, I'm quoting from the repository of all human development, knowledge, and insight into the universe, and that's called Wikipedia. In contrast to an epiphany, an apophany i.e. instance of apophenia, does not provide insight into the nature of reality, nor its interconnectedness, but is a process of repetitively and monotonously experiencing abnormal meanings in the entire surrounding experiential field. Hmm. Those people that just chalk it up as that's random Mm -hmm. are basically just shrugging off something that should be... That should bother them. Yes, that should be part of the story they're weaving of their experiences.
1: This should show you that your story is incomplete.
0: Or at the very least, you need to put a chapter
1: in about this. Look, if, if, if you're the... If you, you are not writing this into your story, then you're... Reality is knocking at your door. Right. And you are not getting it. Yeah. So even in small things,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I mean, and look, this this was something I, I discovered in my uh, personal hobby in becoming a trader. right? There were many instances where I would just come up with a handy narrative reason for why something occurred. Mm-hmm. And I would never get to the point of well, that's nice, but you didn't see it five minutes ago
2: mm-hmm.
0: so it's very nice to have a post hoc explanation of something, mm-hmm. but the problem is that you didn't see it coming, not that you right to to come up with a oh, the reason I didn't see it coming is because x and y and z that's great, but you know what the actual problem is you're out money because you didn't see it coming. So what you want is an explanation that will let you see it coming the next time. Right. And that's the difference between the traders that make it and the traders that don't. Uh-huh. Are your lessons things that you take for the future? Or are your lessons things that absolve you of your past? And by the way, Ooh, wow. that sentence, yeah, that's, it's, that's powerful. Wow. Yeah. Guys, guys, that's more powerful than chemtrails. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say because it, it's not just about traders. That's about life. Are the lessons you learn going to help you with your future? Are the lessons you learn going to absolve you of your past? That is the question of any experience you have. And now, actually, this is a beautiful turning point. Mm -hmm. This really is. Because today's pop culture celebrates the random. It celebrates the meaninglessness of things. How's that? What, What passes for political satire is always how nothing matters... So the only thing that matters is letting the most people enjoy the nothing
1: that doesn't matter. For example?
0: Gun control. Okay. Look, would say whoever hosts the Daily Show today or any show of its ilk. We get it. There's an amendment and it says you should have guns and that's personal freedom and it's liberty and it's great. But here's the problem. Other people suffer. And more people suffer worse because of your right to guns then you suffer by losing them. Mm -hmm. So, simple mathematical equation. They won
1: the suffering war.
0: And therefore, we want to minimize the suffering because the most people should enjoy this world for whatever it has to offer them because, frankly, it's all we get. And that's the part that's always in parentheses. This is all we get. And so, therefore, you should suck it
1: up and just let these people have their little bit. And that's why Peter Singer is evil. He is? Yeah. Well, he's actually a hyper-ethical human being. He's a professor of philosophy. I think he's originally from Australia. And he pushed well, I've this... i explained why he's evil. He, <sighs> he pushed this utilitarian viewpoint mm-hmm. where you calculate the moral worth of your action according to the good it will do in the world mm-hmm. or the bad it will do in the world. Honestly, I forget the details of the philosophy. I'm sure that makes a big difference, like do no damage as opposed to do a lot of good. This is a guy who really stands by what he's taught. So he's making a very good salary as a university professor, and he donates everything that he doesn't need, everything above subsistence level, basically, to charity to provide for subsistence for people who don't have that. He really stands by what he says. But it all becomes calculations of suffering.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll go one
1: step further.
0: There's nothing meaningful about what he's doing. It happens to be meaningful to whoever is living off of his output.
1: This is a worldview but that's predicated
0: not, on lack of meaning. That's what I'm driving at. Yeah. But if we're going to mock him, let's talk about how we see things. So I grew up with God wants to give the greatest good to everyone, so he created souls So they can go to earth, so they could earn heaven, and they could earn it instead of be given it. So that way we wouldn't be embarrassed by the bounty of goodness that God has given us because it would have been earned.
1: Yeah, this is like the Shippish version of Ramchal 101. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what it was. I got it. It was a good summary.
0: But it was pathetic and stupid and and frankly in today's world dangerous because, again, it it doesn't meet Occam's razor. So what you're telling me is God designed people mm-hmm. that couldn't take gifts. So that's a flaw in creation. That's number one. Mm-hmm. If what you want to do is give, design takers. Mm-hmm. All this added stuff about how bad bought, they didn't earn it, and that nah, is a joke. Because mm-hmm. frankly, when people we love give us things, we don't sit there going, oh no, but I did not earn this. So all you're doing is making God an other, mm-hmm. which is stupid, I would say. Because the whole point is that God shouldn't be an other in the first place, if you want to talk about relationship. And then I do the second I don't know,
1: thing. I think otherness is pretty important to relationships. Yes,
0: but not other as in definitively other, where you can never get to know them, and therefore whatever they give you is something you need to earn. Ah, okay, so now
1: the yeshivish aspect of the interpretation ah, is choked on uh, there you uh, get it. Okay, I see. That's not Ramchal, that's yeshivish. That's idiot. But anyway, that's how I grew up,
0: an idiot. And then the second thing was stupid is it just m- moves Occam's Razor one over. So the reason we go through this crappy planet and these utterly absurd, stupid lives is so we could earn the heaven that God wanted to give us. So apply Occam's Razor and what do you get? Well, why would God design a world on those principles? Just give them heaven in the first place.
1: Or don't do anything at all. What use is any of this to you? Right! Who cares? So
0: I get to live an absurd existence, which, you know, Okay, I personally bet against Pascal, which actually fits in beautifully, which, frankly, if there is a God, I'm not interested in what he has to offer because it's stupid, and this is why. Going back to how your formative years really form who you are, Mm -hmm. this is it. Mm -hmm. And this is utterly moronic. This is what you're telling me is the great truth of everything? And so I I was kind of ejected. Certainly socially, and very much intellectually. And I went off to explore, and I discovered a world that was random. And suddenly, that's where differences started to matter. Wait, if if something's random, then why is it? Why did it work out this way? What tipped this scales to this outcome? What makes this thing anything? Instead of just another random thing in another random universe, and nothing matters in the first place. Well, that, that's suddenly, the, that's the threat of randomness,
1: but it's also its gift. Well, this is actually an important distinction in the Megillah. Okay. So when Mordechai is speaking to Esther, this is the
0: crux of it all.
1: Right. This is we're talking chapter four. Mordechai
0: is sending messages to the queen. Mordechai
1: right? starts out by trying to convince Esther to go in and plead for the lives of the Jews.
0: Beg—that's the word he uses.
1: Yes. Esther says, Mordechai, that's not going to work. Not only is it not going to work, it's
0: suicide.
1: And frankly, and it's I'm also not interested. And a suicide mission. And no, thank you. Mordechai comes back and says something shocking. He says, don't worry about saving the Jewish people. God does not need you. God doesn't need you to save the Jewish people. The Jewish people don't need you to save the Jewish people. But maybe this is your chance to do something.
0: Al tidami ben avsheikh. Don't imagine in your heart for a minute, that you would escape. If you're going to be quiet, I guarantee you, we're going to be saved from somewhere else completely. Doesn't matter. You don't matter in terms of the saving. Not only that, but you and everybody who came before you leading up to creating you and to be into this moment where you could have this opportunity will have just been lost. It'll have turned out to have been nothing. But maybe this is the reason why you were queen, not so you could save the Jews, that you could become the person that this is your life's accomplishment. It's not that the thing needs doing. It's that you get to do it
1: Mm -hmm. as opposed to it just being done. And all this falls apart if there's not a guarantee that somehow the Jewish people make it out of this. Right. Which is why it's an insane thing for him to say that. Where does he know it from? He can say, listen, you know, go read Sefer Devarium. Go read the book of Deuteronomy. We have a guarantee in our breed, in our covenant, that we have to live long enough for this to work out.
0: Not all all this bad stuff will happen. And all this bad stuff will have
1: to work out too. But, you know, there's a whole process we're engaged in here. So we know that somehow we get through this. Now, because I know that, now I can tell you, listen, maybe this is your chance. It's never... Wait,
0: but here's the thing. Randomness provides us
1: meaning, or at least the ability to find any. It's the grounds which would make the choice possible. Randomness
0: gives us opportunity. And what that means is randomness gives us
1: freedom. Well, no. Randomness doesn't give us freedom. Not yet, anyway. And the reason is because just like there's no freedom in a deterministic universe... There's no freedom in a universe of white noise. I
0: see where you're going with this. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Go on, explain. Flesh it out, though.
1: Okay, so we should make a distinction between, we could say liberty on one hand and freedom on the other. Liberty is about having options. Liberty is you go into a restaurant and you sit down. And there's a menu. And there's a menu. And you can choose from anything on the menu. And it doesn't really matter
0: because it all turns to poop in a day.
1: It all turns to poop in a day, and because it's that particular restaurant, everything is approximately equivalent for health value. Right. And what do you really know about your health anyway and what your body <laughs> needs? So there's not enough – there are no real differences here. Right. It's okay. just
0: the appearance of difference
1: over masking things that really don't differ. Right. And what option on the menu I choose is not a make it or break it for – it doesn't say anything about you exactly it It just says
0: what you want
1: now right it's no different from a dog rounding the corner and on one side there's a nice steak on the other side there's a hot bitch and whichever one he chooses is a function of how hungry he is what his hormones are doing there's no existential choice there is that okay no, it's
0: great. I'm just actually
1: sitting here right
0: now going, if I rounded a corner and those were what I was – I mean the equivalents <laughs> of what I was faced with, I'm wondering what I would choose. I, I'm saying it depends on the circumstances. No, but the thing is I think I would almost invariably choose the meat. <laughs> OK. So that could refer to either choice, right? But also I, I really think I would pick the steak because, first of all, you're in the middle of the street. So just weird. <laughs>
1: Well, that's why it has to be a dog in the example.
0: Right, but actually, now that I think about it again, I'm not sure I would eat meat I found in the street. Street meat just seems wrong. Well, that's a discussion in the Gemara. About kashrut. Yeah. Yeah, kashrut. yeah. Well, actually, about statistics. But but my well, point that's is... that's where
1: freedom actually enters into the example.
0: But before we get into statistics and freedom, I just want to point out that if you have food that you could call street meat for any reason... Street meat.
1: Yeah, it's a good chance you shouldn't eat it. You meet on the street to eat street meat? That was like the whitest rap I've ever heard. That was not a rap. That was Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Doctor Seuss was just a frustrated rapper. Okay. So we dealt with liberty. Yeah. You have options.
0: Liberties. You get to choose which treat you, but it doesn't matter. Correct. Right. Okay. Exactly.
1: Right. And you, you said that beautifully when you said I would choose the meat. Right. And meat could refer to either thing. That's the point. Right. It right? doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. Whereas freedom. Is when things can make differences to you. You're saying if the police are watching, <laughs> <laughs> this is a very external definition of freedom. But, here. but
0: it, no, what do you mean? Hmm. I'm either going to prison for solicitation or rape, <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just having some cops look at me and go, Oh man, you ate that. <laughs> but, in hey, can term- I have some? Term- <laughs> well, it's a, it a meat donut, right? So, but, but jokes aside, but you, but that, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm doing... I smell pork. Forget it. I'm out. Jokes aside, I'm, I'm doing it humorously to prove a point, but Holy this is...
1: crap, we're just recreating Wayne's World on our podcast. <laughs> like, hey, man. we don't actually think this about police. <laughs> you're a volunteer what's the call i am
0: a volunteer i'm an auxiliary uh, almost an auxiliary cop that's true and like you yeah, i am probably an outlaw but i live in
1: disputed territory <laughs> no i was gonna go with
0: you're like some liberal kid that was raised to think the police are his friend i yeah 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 so but my, my point was there are consequences to the choice not so much forget before you even get to self-definition that's really just a form or, or a very advanced form consequences but there are consequences to that decision one mm-hmm. of them will end mm-hmm. me up in prison yeah yep. the other one won't hopefully
1: right okay so i go back and forth about this to what extent is this liberty and to what extent is this freedom because you know we see with very very simple organisms like Aplysia, that that's like an underwater creature with no brain it just has ganglia um they learn if they learn, that means they have a sense of consequence. Now, it might not be a conscious sense of consequence, but who the hell cares? Right. That's right? not the important if part. If this thing can pick up consequences, well, what does it matter that you pick up consequences? That's a function of liberty then. It's just you know, some calculation between hormones and neurotransmitters and is it this meat or that meat? No, but here's the thing, because you follow that to its conclusion and you're suddenly back to self-definition again.
0: Because if you're the type of guy that says, I don't care if I'm going to prison. I need that, I need that, that, uh, you know, <laughs> the meat with the pulse." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty definitive. And then you're right back in freedom again. <laughs> Your definition of freedom, I'm saying.
1: But the point is that if this, if we can call him a person, if he... <laughs> If this organism who chose the meat with the pulse as opposed to the meat without a pulse chose it simply because I want the meat with the pulse. right? No, that's the point. This this person doesn't have a sense for the significance of that decision. It wasn't really. So
0: I think what we're driving at is that I think they both need to be there. There needs to be consequence and the
1: consequence needs to have a definitive import. So I think that the consequence has to come with caring about yourself. In what
0: way? Because those, those ganglia-only guys, I'm sure, also only care about them. You know,
1: they do care about themselves in the sense they don't want to die. Teenagers know about consequences intellectually. They don't necessarily care about those consequences. And so there's, they remain trapped in the wild storm of hormones. But I always took that.
0: that to just be a, a attention Deficit.
1: I think that's a factor. I don't think that's an ultimate explanation. I don't. I don't think that that. You could tell you're older than me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you forgot what it was like. <laughs> Jokes aside. So that that so freedom involves some element of self-definition.
1: Some element of self-definition. Some element of making distinctions. Mm-hmm. There are distinctions, and they matter. If liberty is, I sit down in a restaurant and I have options on a menu. Freedom is, I'm making a determination about whether or not now is a time to eat, and what does food mean for me? What is food going to be about for me? Right.
0: So is it about subsistence? Is it about pleasure? Is it, is it
1: fuel? Is it? I want that because it tastes nice. Is it nice. fuel? Is it fire? Is it what you desire? Mm-hmm. Is it, I have a sense of connection to the world, and so I'm putting food into my body. Okay,
0: so so we have liberty, we have freedom. Obviously, you and I, when we talk about uh, a life well lived, I'm going to bet we're talking about freedom.
1: Yeah, I think that liberty is important insofar as it serves freedom. I think we never learned what it meant to be free until we found liberty.
0: I think that in development of man, hmm. man didn't learn what freedom was. Until he discovered liberty.
1: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: Until there was the United States of America.
1: I agree
0: with that. <laughs> Until there was the United States of America. And the resultant revolutions that that led to, such as the French Revolution 1789, etc. Man didn't have a concept of utter liberty. There was always mm-hmm. something that governed him, whether it was a king or a church. And it's only in the last few hundred years we've actually learned what it means to be free. I think, in a very funny way, we're actually at a crossroads mm-hmm. because many people are confusing the two. They're confusing the source for the result. Liberty is what granted us freedom. Therefore, say many people, freedom is liberty. So they'll, all they want is the right to choose. That's a political joke if there ever was one. But they're <laughs> pro-choice. Right. All choices. Choice is what matters.
1: Mm-hmm. Options are
0: what matter. Right.
1: It's only in a plurality when I walk of options to a supermarket. And I want to I see fifty go, kinds of canned corn. Yes. for for me it's toothpaste. I go into the toothpaste aisle and there's a toothpaste aisle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So so for me it's probably the beer section.
1: Yeah, but There are distinctions between the beers. I was going to
0: say, but that's an element of freedom. That that really matters, (laughs) (laughs) Jokes aside, no, but that's kind of the point. No, actually, that really is the point. You should be the person that can actually know the distinctions between the 52 different toothpaste brands. Freedom is being a connoisseur of life. Yes. That's, I think, what we're driving at. Look, Hmm. in English, we would make a distinction, perhaps, between choices and decisions. Okay. A choice is just whatever. Decisions carry import. I would say it exactly the other way. Fine. No, this is funny because actually, the more people I talk to, the more I build up a a. Which one do they apply the sense of meaning to? Interesting. But whichever one of those two it is for you, Mm -hmm. one thing is a random doesn't matter, and one thing is no, this matters. Okay. If there is an end game, Mm -hmm. whether that end game is a Messiah. Mm-hmm. Whether that end game is Elon Musk launching us all to Alpha Centauri, or both, right? Maybe Elon's the Messiah. I don't know. Whether the end game is a universe that continues going, but but a mankind that continuously evolves into something better than it was before.
2: Mm-hmm. The
0: minute you get to better, that's distinction. The minute you get to distinction, that's connoisseur. The minute you get to connoisseur, you're talking freedom. We're talking about freedom, where there are consequences, where things matter. Because they're being judged by a rubric. In liberty, there are no rubrics. Ah. Because there are no goals. Mm-hmm. Because any goal, by definition, is limiting. And limits are the enemy. Ah. Whereas beautiful. to be free, mm-hmm. one needs to accept mm-hmm. and search for limits. Find me the walls of this universe so I know what to push against. Mm-hmm. But tell me there
1: are no walls to this universe. Why bother trying? Mm-hmm. That's the white noise universe. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The entropic heat death universe. Look, hey, come on. All, all, these, all these rock stars, right? You give anybody without a willingness to make moral distinctions enough money and enough power and the person will destroy themselves. Self-destruct.
0: This is what I was trying to say. because
1: the person doesn't have limits there's nothing, there's nothing holding them in place They diffuse. Uh, what's it, uh, the word? Uh, it's like an old way of talking about um, a young man having sex to the point of self-destruction. He dissipates.: Yes.
0: So, you know who my favorite example of this is? Hmm?
1: Justin Bieber. I I don't know anything about Justin Bieber except that he's a rock star. Well. Pop star or whatever. Okay, you redeemed yourself
0: because had you not stuck in that uh, well, you you would have gotten launched out the window. Justin Bieber is about as rock star as uh, I don't know Prince was a cantor. the The point is, Justin Bieber was a kid, mm-hmm. and his whole thing was his chen. Mm-hmm. He was sweet and virginal and innocent and the smile and the oh baby you know i want to hold your hand and at some point and look that the, the music didn't change but at some point you looked at him and said that's probably not where he's holding anymore you know uh-huh. he's like covered in tattoos and hmm. he's got you know those little telltale bags around his eye he's probably not sitting there going baby i want to hold your hands Probably, like baby i want you to abort my baby you know
1: (laughs) he discovered consequences
0: yeah no but that's the thing but Mm. none of it actually mattered because if you're 18 and you can literally walk into a crowd and point going back to the mcgill this is what achashverosh discovers
1: Hmm.
0: he needs a new queen all right we'll get you any woman in the world well that makes a problem i'll take them all they're already mine Mm -hmm. what what are they giving me Mm -hmm. i own them the one girl he finds is the one girl who basically says, well, there's something I won't give you.
2: Mm-hmm. My
0: story. So that becomes this subtext to the whole the thing. We, we went through this in part one. Right. No one knows who she is. Right? He's terrified. He's mm-hmm. paranoid. And at the same time, he goes, I'm keeping this girl. After they get rid of her and do the whole pageant a second Again. time. Because yeah. at least there's something that's hers. There's nothing any girl can give Justin Bieber that isn't already his unless they said no to him. Mm -hmm. Which is the point. You need no's. You need limits. You need walls to push against. You need definitions that will define you. Freedom isn't only that you are self-definition. It's also a definition of self. The hard way. Go run up against your limits. Go learn that you don't actually run the world. That you're finite. You don't have to tell yourself you're finite. You need to learn you're finite. Mm -hmm. There are definitions of
1: self. Well, you're covering one direction from liberty to freedom, but there's another aspect of it, which is really important. Which is? That freedom also generates liberty. You know where you see this? You see this in Shawshank Redemption. You have a guy who will not be defined by his circumstances. And by making the maximal choice that he can in his context, he winds up opening whole new context to himself. I'll give you an example. This is a very personal example. Mm-hmm. After college, I moved to southwestern Virginia, little town, southwestern Virginia. The reasons aren't important now. I fell into a relationship, which was emotionally and physically a very intense relationship. How it worked out was this goes very well with everything we we're saying about randomness before. Mm-hmm. I was a substitute teacher. I walked into my classroom one morning. I wrote on the board mr simcha which is usually what i did yeah and as i was about to turn around to my students and assure them that they could call me mr sim yeah (laughs) i heard from behind me a voice pronounced with a perfectly reasonable chet. yeah simcha oh i turn around and i found (laughs) the other sort of available jewish person within like 150 square miles of where I lived okay okay so I fell into this relationship and it was a very destructive relationship Mm -hmm. entrancing but destructive it had become clear to me over the previous probably three years when I had started studying Torah more seriously and started to keep mitzvot in some form that my trajectory was if i'm serious about learning torah i better really learn hebrew yeah and i am not great at languages so i'm just going to throw myself into it i need to immerse myself into it i have to go to israel okay so i knew where i was going but this relationship was going to keep me in southwestern virginia forever and this relationship was also going to destroy me mm so i needed a limit and i knew that my limit had to be being shomer That means no men, touching. Men and women don't touch at before all. they're married. Yeah, at all. No shaking hands even, unless you're a <laughs> yekke. I knew about shomer because I went to college at Brandeis, mm-hmm. and Brandeis had a very large Orthodox Jewish population. So, as you know, you're walking around during orientation week, introducing yourself and shaking hands. Every time I came to a woman wearing a long jean skirt. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and you'd put your hand out. I'd put my hand out and she would say, it's so nice to meet you. And my hand would be left hanging in the air. And I would say, what is this? And she would say, I'm Shomer Degia. I'd say, okay, very nice. What's your name again? And it was either Sarah Rivka Rachel. Something or Leia, know, yeah. Leia, right. <laughs> and <laughs> um, Devorah Tamar were also yeah. up there,
0: yeah. So you were aware of this idea of so I was aware
1: of, So I was aware of this and somehow I got it into my head and somehow halacha, which I didn't know anything about, meant something to me. But this spoke to me because I knew that this is about what relationships are supposed to be. Okay. And – it's about what relationships are supposed to be because it's about who people are supposed to be. It's about integrity and it's about whatever. I don't know how much of this I would have been able to articulate at the time, but I knew this is what I need. This is what I have to do. And so I went from a relationship that was extremely intense emotionally and physically to I am Shomer Nagia and we aren't touching. And that was not an option that wasn't one of the options on the menu that wasn't a reasonable thing that people did it wasn't it wasn't on the plate it it
0: doesn't leave a relationship in those terms at all yeah in such a place and in such a understanding of reality there's nothing left you're almost friend zoning yourself (laughs) 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 no i i I wanna I, i i i know it's funny and, and we're laughing at it now, mm-hmm. but to somebody in that moment, this is amazingly powerful. You're you're saying, in a way, I don't want you,
1: and I wasn't, and that's it was an impossible thing, because on the one hand, I did want her, right, and there was nothing about this that was let's be friends this was the perfectly calculated thing to do to augment the eroticism in the relationship
0: you know in a funny way you're almost saying let's be soulmates but in doing that you're highlighting the difference in the word soul so
1: the really strange thing about this was that i really was saying in in that sense let's be soulmates but That came at the expense of also saying, we will destroy each other because we are not supposed to be together.
0: We are not Soulmates. Right. Yeah. It's very paradoxical.
1: Yeah. I'm pointing
0: all this out in a way almost at your expense. And I apologize. (laughs) No, I mean that. Because what this does is it kind of spits in the face of the modern day taken for granted concept
1: of love of love and there's also a cheap irony in terms of what passes as freedom today
0: right well freedom that's where is i'm getting license, yeah. freedom
1: is do whatever the hell you want and what i i discovered myself when i discovered freedom when i discovered limits. it's not about license it's about limits yeah so
0: it's really funny because of how opposite you and I are in the Jewish milieu. Uh,
1: hold on, let me close this because yeah. the point is that in realizing that freedom, whole new vistas opened up to me. That statement This is what makes that you limit you. Yes. That's what afforded me the liberty to come to Israel. That's what afforded me the liberty to see my relationships with women in a completely different way. That's what – it gave me a, a whole new – I don't know how to say it other than opening up a new space.
0: But that's what it, it is. It was
1: my entrance into a whole new space of so to put this dimension, put this, this in options.
0: completely opposite terms, mm-hmm. because you and I grew up so differently, mm mm-hmm in the jewish uh way of seeing things yeah i grew up in a fundamentally religious fundamentally uh, fundamentalistly religious uh world but when i was 1920 so that's when i discovered that just because you weren't allowed to do something doesn't mean you couldn't <laughs> uh-huh. Right. right. <laughs> and as a matter of fact it turned out i could
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i can do it very well mm-hmm. apparently and and as a matter of fact the reason i came to this was actually a mirror image of what you're describing it was very much i decided i wasn't going to get what i was looking for so why not get what i could If it's not going to be what I want, that is the most dangerous line of thought you can imagine. Mm -hmm. If I can't get what I want, I'll take what I can get. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But that's kind of when you discover, well, you know what you can get? Whatever the hell you want. Mm -hmm. And that makes you realize, well, what is it that I want? Because I came to it with the, I want this, you know, perfect idea, an ideal of a soulmate and of somebody that, you know, was really plugged into. And I'm using that term for a very important reason because I then discovered you can really plug into anyone. And that was the thing that forced me to realize, well, if that's the case, then what the hell do you want to plug into? Yeah. And what was amazing about that is is I discovered experientially mm-hmm. that what I thought I wanted, I didn't want. Hmm. And what I could get... I also didn't want
2: hmm.
0: and that was the first time i ever stopped and said well then what the hell do you want the options are bad but then it's not about the options right
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's about you who are you and what do you stand for and what are you looking to accomplish in life mm-hmm. and it happens to be this came to a happy random accident i happen to be in a summer camp that year Mm -hmm. because the college only ran school only ran classes in july okay and my father happened to be working in a particular organization which had a summer camp that was only in august and it happened to be that he wasn't a stupid man and he didn't trust me to stay at home in the city alone while he was upstate (laughs) smart man yeah he was a brilliant man so he said, you're working for me this summer, to which I replied, the hell I am. And he said, well, it's very simple. You're going to be upstate for August. The question is, do you want to show up in the back seat of a car or in a box? <laughs> I love my dad. And I chose the car, obviously. Hmm. And so I was working for him that summer, but I didn't like my job. And he didn't particularly care. So I used to ditch... You know how it is in summer camp during the meals. Everybody has to scream and shout and there's, you know, bunk spirit and all this stuff. I can imagine that went over really well with you. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Cynic was going to get up there and be like, we're the best. So I would just leave. (laughs) And so I like kids. And I want to stress for anyone who's about to rip that out of context, I don't like kids the way that that lends itself to in an out of context universe, but I just they're, they're so wonderful and cute and sweet and innocent, especially when lightly roasted. <laughs> <laughs> So I would I would leave the dining room when the screaming would start, and I would go to the family dining room and hang out with my parents and my siblings who were there, mm-hmm. and the other little kids that were around, and I'd play with them and this and that, and eventually i have to return them to their parents. And I, there was one kid I used to, you know, I thought it would be fun to teach her, this little kid to say all this, like, strange things. So I would teach her to say, like, you're a silly duck. Okay. And then, you know, this little three-year-old would go, you're a silly duck! And I would say, now go tell your daddy he's a silly duck. And she would toddle off to the table and go, you're a silly duck. And he didn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I got well, to you meet... do this
1: with your own kids, except it's more like. Yeah, you know, like... well you're a silly regressive leftist (laughs) yeah so so
0: that's the thing so eventually i got to meet the parents and the parents were like hey this is an interesting guy and so finally one of them was like you know i know this girl and she's actually really up your alley and i was like yeah sure because we all know what alley i'm supposed to be up so this is a stupid thing no but that's (laughs) how i said it in in in, really in, in the orthodox jewish universe we call it the pants skirts theory if one wears pants and the other wears a skirt, they probably yeah. can live together. They belong together. It yeah. doesn't matter what gender they are and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what they believe in. Mm-hmm. You know, or just like make matches because ah, uh, Jewish people, uh it's great.
1: I know a girl, she's, I, perfect, uh, for she's perfect for you.
0: She's not Cause she wears a skirt and yeah. you wear pants or, or the other way around. I know this girl, she's perfect to you because you wear a skirt, but she wears pants. <laughs> and, and, and so I, you know, and at the time I was a, uh, at the time as if this isn't true now, I was, a, I was a big cynic. Mm-hmm. You, you could imagine. <laughs> right, yeah. And so I said something along the lines of sure. She wears a skirt and I wear pants cause that day I was wearing pants. And the woman and said, came back. Oh,
1: but you also wear a Nah.
0: So the, the, they came back and they're like, no, it's actually based on X, Y, and Z. And I stopped and I was like, well, actually that kind of makes sense. What did they say?
1: She's as cynical as you are? Kind of. Ah.
0: Actually, I, I don't mind. I'll share it. It's funny. It, yeah. it came back to this thing where, I mean, again, granted, as I just mentioned, pretending I was this good religious boy because mm-hmm. I wasn't.
1: Well, she's French Moroccan and she's from Lakewood. So, well, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> they didn't mention that part yet because that would have been a deal breaker. Yeah. But pretending I'm this religious boy, so I said, like, you know, listen, at my wedding, I plan to leave at 9 p.m. I don't care if you all want to do the Jewish dance where you stomp the middle of the floor out Mm -hmm. and eat cake. But I waited my whole life for something and I don't need to wait an extra three hours because you want to stomp the middle of the floor out and eat cake. So I'm leaving at nine o'clock. And she responded with, you know, it's interesting. I I know this girl and she said she wants to get married on Friday at six o'clock in the morning on the beach. Because that way the whole wedding will only take seven minutes long because no one's going to show up. To which, to which I responded, with all due respect, if my wedding was at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Friday morning on the beach, I wouldn't show up
2: <laughs>
0: because I just wouldn't make it there. I don't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning for anything, including my marriage. And then a week later she came back and she's like, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this and the two of you would actually be really good together. And I was like, yeah, bullshit because <laughs> <laughs> you're just doing the Pan skirt theory because it's a funny story mm-hmm. and and they're like no you both are very individu- individualistic thinkers mm-hmm. you both aren't willing to accept things because that's the status quo or that's the way things are done mm-hmm. you're both not people that are just along for the ride with whatever but you have a tremendous personal interest and personal investment mm-hmm. in what you're doing mm-hmm. And I think that if the two of you got to talking, you would find some kind of middle ground, which would actually be something new, and interesting, and beautiful in 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 our world. Wow! And I've I said, "Well, if you say that, so, so. yeah." Well, I was like, amazing. "Well, if you say that, I'll at least meet this person mm-hmm. because why not?" And and again, to 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 just go for it because it's hilarious how random it turned out. So I was like, "Fine, I'll go on a date. What do I care?" So I said, uh, if you want to set me up officially, you have to ask my parents. Mm-hmm. So she went to my parents and said, is he dating? And they went, I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> and she came to me and went, are you dating? And I went, I don't know. Ask my parents. So she went and said, great. Everyone says that it's fine.
1: <laughs> well done. Yeah. No,
0: because otherwise it never would have happened. Right. None, neither I nor my parents would have agreed that at this point I'm nominally independent. I wouldn't have done it because I was afraid of what they would say. And they wouldn't have done it because they were afraid to give me any kind of agency knowing where I would end up. Mm -hmm. They were right. I I admit that. (laughs) So I was like, fine. Yeah, sure. I'll meet her. So the summer camp ends. We go back to the city. And uh, she gives me this girl's number. And she says, listen, she asked that you call her first because, honestly, the way – Orthodox Jews do things where data set up without I, anyone talking to each other. Mm-hmm. She thinks is insane. You just like get in a guy's car you never spoke to before, and then like he takes you wherever he wants to go. Oh,
1: because in America you have cars when you go out on these dates. Yeah. Too, right? Oh,
0: don't right. get me wrong. I I went on my dates in a minivan, which actually well, you know yeah gives you a lot better. Of, yeah, right? it's weird. So she's like, so this woman says she asked that you call her first and at least have a conversation. So I was like. I didn't know any better, so I just went, okay. So I called her, and we had this nice conversation that felt like 10 minutes, but was actually an hour and a half. Wow. And when I hung up the phone and looked at the time, went, well, if it's fun to talk to somebody for that long, you don't even see the time passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to spend time with them. It would be fun. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, listen, uh, you know, there's this concert I'm going to with a friend on Monday, and Sunday I have something with my job, and okay, I'll call you Tuesday, we'll work it out. And she called me back,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like five <laughs> minutes later, going, by the way, you mentioned that concert Monday, why don't we just go? Now, the reason she did that is she figured she can go to the concert for free. This is true. Okay. My wife is Jewish. <laughs> And I was, so I called my friend that I had made plans to, and I was like, what do you say we uh, do this plus one style? Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll bring a girl, and if it sucks, we'll ditch them, and we'll just hang out with each other.
1: I was like, perfect.
0: Well, that
1: that must have been the other thing she was thinking, too. Like, at least I get a concert out of it.
0: Right, yeah, if it sucks, at least I get to go to this concert I wanted to go to, and I don't have to pay for it. What was the concert? The Moshav band. (laughs) <laughs> exactly.
1: Okay, but here's here's where the fun part. Goes. Well, that's before they became like angsty rockers, right?
0: That was actually right when they became oh. angsty rockers. <laughs> it was that concert. Yeah, yeah. That was that, that was that year where they put out that album. Wow. I was like, whoa, and everything. Oh, because that's when
1: they moved to America, and yeah, it was it was
0: like three years later is when they yeah. really absorbed the uh-huh. LA scene and was like, mm-hmm. hey, we can make music that's American. But but anyway, the point is, and then of course, going back to the whole theme of the random weirdness of this. Is that my friend had a, a terrible date, but uh-huh. I didn't. Uh huh. So he was like constantly at the margins of our date. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you guys want a drink? No, nah, we're fine. <laughs> he comes yeah. back five minutes later, he's like, I ah, have a drink. And, you know, <laughs> and I was like, fine. I like you know, pull him over the side and be like, this is going well. And he's like, for you. <laughs> you know?
1: Why don't you listen to the music? Yeah, were, like the, we were going well, out this on this. This was the... going well three years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then it gets even better because you know, so, so her and I, we were like going for a walk in the middle of this concert in the intermission, this and that, and like we we're having the most ridiculous conversations that in any other date would have sunk the date because our opinions were just so far apart. <laughs> but but our time together was just so wonderful that hmm. that at the end of it, she went back to this this shadchan, this matchmaker, and she's like, "Look, I enjoy spending time with him. Uh, there are a lot of things he does that strikes me as like deal breakers." But it was enjoyable, so, like, I think I should just give him another chance and, like, make sure that my original uh, impression is correct. Mm -hmm. And thank God it wasn't because it's nine years later almost, and uh, eight and a half years later, and there's three kids involved, and and we're we're doing okay. Mm -hmm. At least I think so. If she was around, she'd be like, now that you mention it. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're wording it as freedom creates liberty
1: that's true but in light of the political spectrum today america is going to lose even its liberties this is what they're debating if if people don't come to their senses and care about freedom yes it's not a social thing that makes it meaningful
0: it's an existential thing that makes it meaningful this is mine and this is me i'm suggesting that i'm not sure it matters what those things are i'm not sure that's correct That's something we can do a whole episode on. I mean it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really crucial thing. And we actually touched on this, I think, in episode 11 where I mentioned a conversation with my friend Eve Fairbanks. Yes. About are categories arbitrary or not.
0: Exactly. That's what it is. Because in a way, she's right. Ultimately, it's not necessarily important what these things are. And this is your rejoinder to her. You're right in a way. It's not necessarily that it's the things that matter, but things have to matter. Otherwise there's nothing. So the way you put it, if I remember correctly, was that it's not the categories that are definitional, but without categories, there are no definitions. We use categories to distinguish. It's the act of distinguishing. It's the act of distinction is that what makes a difference. The way you and I would put it in very simple terms, it's a chiastic thing because the way the, the Talmud puts it is, mm-hmm. if there's no knowledge, mm-hmm. if there's no awareness, because the word means both things, mm-hmm. so where do we get distinction from? Mm-hmm. And it's my chiddush, if you will. I'm not saying it's only me. I think you would say this too. I'm just saying it's not said in the text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I my rejoinder is it's true in the reverse. Mm-hmm. if yeah, there 's no distinction, what back. are you aware of? so when you when we said a second ago a couple of minutes ago, you know almost sarcastically that to be a connoisseur is to be free that 's what it means if you can 't distinguish between differences there 's nothing there. but you know what provides those differences? You know what provides the field that allows you to point at one thing or another and say. This is something and this isn't. It's what's random. The fact that so many different things can be is what allows you to turn around and say, well, it can, but this is something and this isn't. I think, and to really put a bow on top of all of this, Purim, the whole thing of Purim, and we didn't mention this anywhere, so we're introducing this now. In the Talmud, Purim is, is introduced as... The end of prophecy. With randomness means there is no certainty. Prophecy is certainty. We ask God. He tells us. That's the end of it. With a Purim that can tell you, look, these are the statistics. These are the odds. These are the facts. I can guarantee you that the Jewish people will be saved whether you go to the king or
1: not. That's on the level of prophecy. Now, you want to know how it's going to work out? That's random. We have no clue. But, however it works out. To say that how it works out is random diminishes the accomplishment of Esther. Point. Say the Gemara about Eliyahu and
0: Sure. Okay. So, if you recall, if you listen to 12a... We go through this whole thing and this wine party and she makes sure to invite the king and Haman. And the second time she invites the king and Haman. So there's this whole argument. What was she trying to accomplish by doing this? Mm-hmm. And so it brings, I don't know, 10 different opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, she
1: figured different the king rabbis would, offering the king would opinions, get jealous, you know, because, and then he'll kill Haman.
0: because, you know, obviously she's got the hots for this Haman guy. So I got to bump him off. And the other one says, No, it's nothing to do with that. It's not it's not you know, he's not worried about jealousy. He's just she's just sitting there going, If you keep somebody close enough, then whenever something develops, it'll develop in the context of him. So it'll become his fault. Mhm. And the other one says, no, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with e- each one to his own. But mm-hmm. it gives ten different examples of why having the two of them at one table would accomplish her goal of
1: the king would turn around and say, get rid of this Haman guy. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're perplexed. They don't know how to resolve this question of what was Esther So what thinking. was she what doing? What was her plan? So they asked Elijah the prophet.
0: You have this guy. Mind you, you're talking about a, a difference of a few hundred years. But, but Elijah, as we know, is timeless. Mm-hmm. He's the harbor of the redemption mm-hmm. right, that's so important. He, he he ascended to the Garden of Eden alive which means he has access to all time at will so he's anywhere you want him to be so they asked him hey listen what was going on and he goes uh, option D all of the above right because when your backs against the wall you're not doing things linearly You're doing things. You're
1: opening up a space of possibilities. Of possibilities.
0: And let's see what works out. So he's basically saying she's aware of all the possibilities and she's going to see, well, where does
1: this go? The way that I think about this conceptually is in terms of what we would call in physics or mathematics dynamical systems. So you have a a system and you describe possible states of the system in phase space those are all the possible states of the system represented in that space and so you follow the evolution of that system through those different states with some path through phase space and there are different possibilities but what we're talking about here with Esther is a system that converges on an attractor wherever you start whatever the particular possibilities are The way that this is set up is there's a certain basin of attraction and you're drawn into this place where everything that Haman set up to destroy Mordechai and the Jews is going to get flipped over on his head and it's going to destroy him. The terrifying thing about this, I think, is that all the particular possibilities can lose their meaning. The particular path that you take, so what? The particular state that your system has to be in, so what? All the particulars get washed out of meaning. There's a similar effect to postmodern interpretation. Any text has a potentially infinite number of interpretations. Okay, so pick one. Isn't that great? No, it's not great. Why not? Because it could be this one, or it could be that one, or it could be that one. Derrida's perspectival dance. If you're dancing between them, then it's nothing. And if you pick any one of them, it's also nothing. So then what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, if you aren't Derrida, you might be the redactor of the Talmud, in which case you hit the verse with a hammer and sparks go flying out in every direction. And you also wind up with this dance of perspective among dance and you also wind up with this dance of perspectives among the rabbis somehow that doesn't diminish the meaning of any one of the perspectives somehow what you see emerging from the talmud is each one of those perspectives makes the other more significant because somehow each becomes the face of something larger why is it different
0: Because they're all part of one reality.
1: Whereas in the case of Derrida, they're all just different realities. They're just propagating personal ideas of it could be this or it could be that.
0: So I think what you're stressing is that our perspective of randomness is many possibilities within one universe, not many possible universes. And what makes those possibilities meaningful is because they impact actuality. They impact reality, whereas the postmodern version of randomness is that there is no one reality, and so therefore, nothing actually matters. To us, it does. Everything matters.
1: Yeah, I think that's really the bottom line. Do you really care about reality? Do all these things have to be a part of your picture, or
0: are they... And on the flip side, are you part of the world... Or are you just your own little world? Yeah. All righty. That's a wrap, y'all.
1: Happy Purim. Purim (laughs) Sameach.